Welcome to the Catholic Connect Podcast. I'm your host, David Scubin. This is a podcast for all Catholics and people of goodwill who strive to live in the world, but not be of the world. First and foremost, we need to be disciples of Jesus ourselves. And then we go forth and make disciples of all nations, just as our Lord commanded. Through a series of timely topics and great guests, we will take that long and narrow journey to heaven together, encouraging each other in faith and virtue along the way. So let's get started. Praise be Jesus Christ, now and forever. Well, welcome to this episode of the Catholic Mike Podcast. It's high-octave Catholicism, but we're on patrol for saving souls, and we're going to get holy or we're going to die trying. On this episode, we're going to talk a little bit about youth and the duties of adults to be mentors of young people. Uh, We're also going to talk about the Holy Eucharist and the significance that the Eucharist and Eucharistic miracles played in the life of Blessed Carlo Acutis. But we're going to be talking about Blessed Carlo Acutis and his love for the Eucharist and what he did in his life, his very short life, to bring the Eucharist and the beauty of the Eucharist and of Jesus Christ to others. So full disclosure, we're talking about youth. I am technically no longer eligible to attend World Youth Day as a pilgrim, as I believe you have to be somewhere between 16 and 35, and I'm not there anymore. Yeah, I'm closing it on 40 as we speak right now. And incredibly, I'm old enough now to be the dad of a lot of people in their 20s, so that's a, that's a little bit of a scary thought. But if there is one thing about getting older, it's that a person gets a lot more focused on the truly important things in life. And I don't know about you, but as I feel I mature in my faith, I feel like I'm starting to detach myself from certain earthly things. And I've heard this from others my age say this too, and I think that's a real healthy spiritual step in our journey towards heaven. And you know what? I truly hope still that I can live a long life on earth, no doubt about it. Spend more time with my wife and my children, friends and family, especially now that we've missed out on so many opportunities in the last year or so because of this crazy virus. But there's some secondary dreams of mine, too, that I would probably share with others. Bucket lists, if you will. I'd love to visit Rome and the Vatican and go see all the beautiful basilicas and museums, all the artwork. I'd love to see all that. Probably could spend a month or two just doing that. Spend another great vacation in Hawaii. And, you know, I love sports, so I'd love to go see a Formula One race live. It's all kind of silly, right? But these are all things that are okay. That's uh, some things that we want to do in our lives, some fun things on the earth. But point being is that we still want to be having our bags packed and ready to go to eternal life and go to see Jesus at any time. When you can acknowledge that life is very short, the brevity of life, it illuminates your life today. It makes you a better person today. Now there's a timely and prophetic passage from St. Paul to Timothy. The first letter of Timothy, chapter 4, 6 through 16. And it's important to read the entire passage because you know I used to rattle off verse 12, which goes like this, and it's a good one. Quote, let no one despise your youth, but set believers an example with speech and conduct and love and faith and purity. End quote. But listen to the entire passage in its context, and you'll see what I mean, that verse 12 becomes so much richer. All right, so here's how it goes. Quote, if you put these instructions before the brethren, you will be a good minister of Christ Jesus. Nourished on the words of the faith and of the good doctrine which you have followed. Have nothing to do with godless and silly myths. Train yourself in godliness. 
For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is sure and worthy of full acceptance. For to this end we toil and strive, because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all men, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise your youth, but set the believers an example in speech and conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Till I come, attend to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift you have, which was given you by prophetic utterance, when the elders laid their hands upon you. Practice these duties, devote yourself to them, so that all may see your progress. Take heed to yourself and to your teaching. Hold to that, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. I always really appreciated that letter from St. Paul to Timothy. There was uh, probably a pretty big age gap. I'm thinking that uh, Timothy himself was probably either a, a teenager or at least someone in his early 20s. And there's a lot of things that struck out or stuck out to me in that passage. And, and the one that uh, that I like the most is have nothing to do with godless and silly myths. And we see that so much, right, nowadays. And our, our youth are so tempted to fall into these fleeting fashions and the fleeting wisdom of today's world. And I also noticed that even St. Paul says, hey, even being physically fit is not a bad thing necessarily. It's actually, it's actually a good thing. It's not the best thing, but it's certainly a good thing. And even how he was um, encouraging Timothy to to grow in his faith, to to not just stay at one place, but to take everything that he's doing, all the virtues that he's been practicing, apply them to his life and keep growing in the faith. And I look at uh, you know teenagers, people in high school, even young adults. Um, we just have to be so encouraging when we see that example of holiness. And I get excited actually myself when I see that uh, there's young people that are living their Catholic faith, living a virtuous life. And I always like to, to chat with them and encourage them in their journey. Because even for me, it wasn't that long ago that I was young. <laughs> I mean, like I said, I'm almost 40 right now. But, you know, we're thinking, I don't know, 20, 25 years ago. And, um, you know, when I was trying to live a life of holiness, even though I was pretty immature in my faith at the time, I still did have people that would encourage me along the way. And we certainly need to be encouraging of young people, especially today, because, you know, you know, just talking to folks my age, we say, man, things have changed a lot just in this one generation from when we were kids or when we were in high school to what kids have to face in high school today. It's a lot more evil age. And I, I kind of cringe actually to think about what it's going to look like in another 20 years from now, unless we start doing things right now in order to, to bring virtue and holiness back to our world and back to our church. So now what do we see with modern youth and even our generation, the generation that I come from, I'm counting myself in, in this generation as well. I always think back to that Nike slogan made famous in my youth, just do it. You remember that one? You know, that's one slogan that's ingrained in people's heads that I have some problems with. And I think it goes back to a term lost in today's world. And yes, even amongst people in our own church, and that is the term concupiscence. It's a fancy word, but it's a, it's a truth dagger. Concupiscence is the tendency to sin. And that has been the case ever since the fall of Adam and Eve. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. And even after we repent, and I do hope you repent, 
we still have an incredibly frustrating tendency to fall back into the same habitual sin over and over again. I've been there many, many times, and I'm telling you right now, if it wasn't for the healing power of confession and penance, I would be back in that pit of despair. Yeah, I remember when I was in high school, I, I remember adults telling my peers about drinking alcohol that they're going to do it anyway, so let's buy kids alcohol, have them drink at our house or in the backyard. It's a safer place to go. Uh, we can kind of control the, the situation a lot better there because they're going to do it anyways. Well, that's not true. And I know a lot of youth that, that didn't drink alcohol when I was younger. And this isn't meant to pump my tires or it's really meant to remind you that don't ever give up on youth. Don't give them the easy way out. Youth want to be challenged. So there's a funny story about my dad. And I'm telling you right now that there isn't a better influence of holiness on a teenage boy than his father. And um, I just pray that uh, the fathers out there, that you can be that example of holiness and of virtue to your children. I pray for that gift every day that I can pass along to my children. And people that, that don't have fathers, uh, it's, it's not easy when you're young. It's not. And I'm going to pray for you today that you will find uh, a man of virtue and of integrity and holiness that can be a mentor to you. We all need them. No matter what the world says, the world needs holy men. The world needs St. Joseph right now. And uh, we need to be more like St. Joseph. St. Joseph's got to be your life coach, I like to say. So before I was 18, I never drank a single ounce of alcohol, never even had a desire to. And it was funny because I had a youthful innocence about me that for some bizarre reason, I thought I was going to be a major league baseball player. I tell this story and people chuckle because they know I was very passionate about baseball, but I wasn't very good at baseball, at least not to the level that would get me noticed by anybody, any scouts in the stands or anything like that, of, you know, outside of my family members who'd come and cheer for me at my local games. I think they call it delusions of grandeur. And there might be a picture of me in those urban dictionaries online with uh, that description. But, you know, in some ways, I believe it actually kept me from walking down a path of sin. It was because I sincerely thought I was going to be a big league player that I didn't want to drink any alcohol or do any drugs or anything like that because I thought, you know what? You need to live a, a clean and healthy life on the diet front in order to get to your, your goals of, of hitting the major leagues. So that's why I didn't do it. So it's pretty funny. And I also saw the effects, the effects of the people my age, the kids my age that did those things. And I didn't want to have any part of that. It just didn't look good, guys. It was even on the ball field that came out in the way they played baseball. Uh, it wasn't very good. There definitely weren't playing up to their capacity because uh, they were on. They were abusing some substances, and it was not a pretty sight to see for anybody. And I'm sure that even people in the stands could see it sometimes. And it was uh, it was sad to see for young people for sure. Now I remember on my 18th birthday, it was a super hot August day. My dad came up to me and said, hey, it's your 18th birthday. We should celebrate with a beer. And I'll never forget sitting in the front steps of our house with my dad. And we split a Pilsner. Yep. So everybody in Saskatchewan is probably cheering right now. They said, hey, we've, we can remember that. And I'm sure you love that. I had a half. He had a half. And we just talked about life. I don't even remember what we talked about. But I remember it was uh, a great conversation. And to this day, my dad is the only person I know who always added ice to his beer. He'd always put two or three ice cubes into his beer. And I'll always love him for that and so many other things. You know, the other thing I heard when I was a youth is the acceptance of adultery. And it's even worse when youth are corrupted, isn't it? It really is. 
you know, I often heard they're going to be doing it anyways. They're going to be having these kind of relationships, these sexual relationships with each other anyway as youth, as teenagers. So let's teach them about contraception and condoms and uh, just let them live an impure life. You know, I'm telling you right now, this world aches for virgin and pure souls. It's been said by leading Catholic experts in demonology that demons fear virgin souls consecrated to Jesus. Why do you think the devil has saturated our culture with impure and immodest images? It's everywhere. I recently read a story that the average age of boys that have viewed hardcore pornography is 11 years old. This is disturbing, and this is a massive sin problem. It's bigger than any issue in this world, and the more we bury the issue of sin by picking convenient social justice slogans and adopting the cancel culture, the bigger these sin problems become. So let's ask ourselves, Catholics, as parents, as grandparents, do we want our children to be married to people addicted to pornography? Do we want our future priests and religious to come from backgrounds where they are addicted to pornography as well? No, we don't. Not a chance. So what can we do to combat this plague? And I would say that this plague is infinitely more dangerous than COVID-19. Would you consider a virus with a 99.6% survival rate? as somehow worse than pornography and sins of the flesh? Better to die early in a state of grace than to live a long life and die in the state of mortal sin. It is, my friends, fear, the plague of the soul versus the contagion of the body. The mighty words of St. Charles Borromeo that I want to ring in your life every day from now on. The Eucharist is the source and the summit of the Christian life. And that is exactly why Catholics cannot do Mass over Zoom or Skype. We need to be present at the Holy Sacrifice to receive a worthy communion. And this is precisely why it is an injustice beyond comprehension for secular authorities to deem services like abortion an essential service and bolt and block the doors of our Catholic Church. God is the author of life, eternal life, and simply will not be mocked. This is why Blessed Carlo Acutis is uh, such a great example, an amazing example of youthful leadership and holiness. So if you haven't heard of this young man, he was recently beatified in the church by Pope Francis on uh, around October 2020. And Carlo was born in England and grew up in Italy. And Carlo did not actually come from a very devout family. I've been watching some interviews with his mother and she's the first to admit that she was not a practicing Catholic at all. Uh, It was the life and example of her son that brought her back and her family back to Jesus. So no, parents, let's not think that it's the responsibility of children to bring us back to the faith. We need to be leaders of holiness and virtue to our children. So even if we don't have all the answers, we need to get the basics right. And that is taking your kids to Mass every Sunday, taking them to confession at least once per month, and fostering a daily prayer life with them. And gentlemen, that's that's your job, fellas. Your wife can help you out, but ultimately the spiritual lives of your wife and children fall squarely in your scope of responsibilities. So Carlo is an example of this because his family wasn't very familiar with church teachings. It was actually his Catholic babysitter that answered a lot of his spiritual queries. Well, God bless babysitters for sure. But again, ladies and gentlemen, we need to be examples to our children. We need to be the the ones that take them to church, that teach them to pray and to uh, to share the answers of our faith with them. And our faith is rich and beautiful. And let's just start with the basics. You know, when I coach baseball, 
what I do, you might have heard this if you're a baseball fan or you like to play baseball like I do. The game is simple. Hit the ball, throw the ball, catch the ball. So the first several practices of the season, doesn't matter what age the kids are, that's what we focus on. Hit the ball, catch the ball, throw the ball. It's very basic, but you know what? It's amazing that even something as basic as that, you got to get that right. That's got to be the foundation of your baseball game. Prayer, going to Mass, having that relationship with Jesus Christ, that's the basis of our spiritual lives, and that's what we've got to zero in on right away. When our young friend Carlo was only four, he reportedly had a dream of his deceased grandpa asking him for prayers. So it needs to be said that these types of vivid dreams don't happen very often, but they are a grace from God. You know, full disclosure, I've even had dreams of deceased family members, and even neighbors or friends of mine from my youth. These are great graces and they are no accidents. As soon as you wake up, you need to hit your knees and pray for their souls. Remember, there are no accidents or coincidences in the spiritual life. As Carlo grew up and went to school, he had several role models in his life, including the children whom the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared to in Fatima, their names being St. Francisco and St. Jacinta, also St. Bernadette Labore of Lourdes, another place where the Blessed Virgin Mary appeared. And he also had a devotion, a special devotion to St. Dominic Savio, the youth who attended St. John Bosco's oratory and who died at the age of only 15. Now, Dominic is the boy who said famously that he'd rather die than commit a sin against Jesus. And Dominic was also asked if he knew, if he were to die within an hour, what would he do? Dominic said he would just keep on playing with his friends, bags packed, ready to go wherever God wanted him to go and whenever God wanted him. It's beautiful. Carlo was like any other modern day kid. He liked computers and programming and he played video games. Here's a note on video games though in moderation. He restricted his gameplay on his own to one hour per week without the prompting of his parents. And uh, guess what else he did that every teenager is more than capable of doing. He was concerned with a number of his friends whose parents were getting divorced. So he offered them support and counsel. Isn't that beautiful? I remember when I was a kid, I, I mean, I couldn't even imagine my parents ever separating. And, and then when I was older, I'd see some of my, my friends, their, their parents would get a separation or a divorce, and I could see the pain in their eyes and the pain in their lives. And uh, even though they kept telling me it was okay, I wish I could have been a, a better supporter of them and maybe asked a few questions to help them get through that. Not that I was ever going to heal the wounds and the pain that they were in, but I do regret that a little bit when I look back in my life. Carlo would also defend and protect disabled students at school. Isn't that amazing? And even outside school, he would volunteer to minister to the homeless and the destitute. Man, this guy, he was, he was awesome. I think we'd be friends for sure, wouldn't we? <laughs> Carlo came to an incredibly close relationship to our Lord Jesus in the Eucharist and started to go to Mass each and every day. And he went to confession every week. Now, as this youth grew in holiness, he was diagnosed with leukemia. But instead of wasting the gift of suffering, he offered it up for the entire Catholic Church and for the Pope at the time, which was Benedict XVI. And in 2006, just after his 15th birthday, Carlos passed away and went to his eternal reward. Now you think, uh, you know, people get cancer, and I know that's... Uh, Man, that is some huge suffering that someone's got to go. It's a huge cross, but, you know, Carlo embraced it even as a youth. I don't know if I could have been the same way. It's uh, 
that's the kind of news you never want to get. But, you know, in Canada here, we just recently passed a bill that, uh, you know, allowed euthanasia basically for almost any reason at all. And it's uh, it's pretty scary. Um, you know, we have come to a place in our society where we're suffering is, is the worst thing that you could possibly ever get in your life. And uh, even if there's uh, a possibility that you could be healed or you could get over some of the ailments that you have, but uh, instead of that, we have focused too much on this virus that almost everybody survives from. And uh, while the, the often said thing is we're saving lives, well, we're saving the lives of some, but not of most. And the people that are getting, that are most affected by this are those with mental illnesses. So when secular authorities mess things up as badly as they've done right now, the onus really falls on Catholicism and Catholics to clean up the mess. It really does. And if you look throughout history, what has the responsibility been of the church? Well, it's been to point to Jesus Christ as the way, the truth, and the life, as the one, the ultimate healer, the ultimate healer to make things right again. And that's why we need to live a sacramental life. We need to promote the sacraments and particularly that of the Eucharist. Now, I often wonder why this world wants to erase history so badly. Well, it's because the fingerprints of Christendom and of Jesus Christ are all over history. And if you erase history, you think you can erase Christianity. Not going to happen. Don't be on the wrong side of history. Catholicism, Christianity, and Jesus Christ will never, ever go away. Think of all the crazy isms over the centuries. You know, we're dealing right now with communism, socialism, atheism. I promise you one thing. All of these isms, just like the isms of the past, will lie in ruin at the feet of Christendom, at the feet of our church and our founder, Jesus Christ. And Catholics, remember, Jesus made a covenant to us. We're his chosen people. He said to our first pope, Upon this rock, Peter, I will build my church, and the gates of hell will never prevail against it. Don't ever forget this, my friends. Don't ever forget this promise that Jesus will never break with us. So back to Carlo, before he passed away into eternity, you know, he, he took his passion for Jesus and the Eucharist so seriously and uh, so beautifully that he started a website dedicated to the Eucharistic miracles around the world. And Carlo commented on his love for our Lord in the Eucharist. He said, the more Eucharist we receive, the more we will become like Jesus, so that on this earth we will have a foretaste of heaven. End quote. That's amazing and beautiful. Our friend Charles Colon brought this up briefly on a previous show and even has a book partially dedicated to Eucharistic miracles. They're truly extraordinary events that beg the attention of the world, and especially us Catholics, who've lost the belief in the real presence of Jesus Christ in the Eucharist. And Catholics, we've got to get this one right. We've got to get this right. We've got to get it right soon. I wanted to cover just the, at least this one miracle, and I'm going to direct you to the website and read about all these miracles yourselves. They're, they're awesome. They're from all over the world, and uh, it's just amazing. He's only 15 years old, and he turns out a website documenting Eucharistic miracles for the faithful to read and fall in love with Jesus over and over again throughout the rest of time. It's so great. So here's one of the stories from his website, and it's a very recent miracle, actually. This miracle occurred at St. Hyacinth's Parish in Legnicia, Poland, on Christmas Day 2013, so not very long ago at all. A consecrated host accidentally fell to the ground during distribution. The priest immediately placed it in a container of water and closed and locked the tabernacle. And that's a protocol that priests need to, need to follow every time something like that happens with the Holy Eucharist. 
Now, after two weeks, several priests checked to see if the host had dissolved in the water, which it should do. They discovered, though, that it didn't dissolve at all. In fact, it had a red spot on the host that covered about one-fifth of the total surface. Now, as the weeks went by, the color changed from deep red to red-brown. At the beginning of January 2014, the host was taken to a forensics institute to be studied and investigated by scientists. They immediately ruled out the presence of bacteria or a fungus that had caused the host to turn red. An additional histopathological test revealed that some fragments seemed to belong to myocardial tissue. An additional opinion was sought by taking some samples to another medical institute, but the origins and backstory of the host of sample were not revealed. The results produced the following astonishing conclusion. Quote, the tissue fragments containing fragmented cross-striated muscle similar to a human heart muscle made with alterations that often appear during agony. The blood found on the host was not tested, but we know that human DNA was found, end quote. So that's one of many stories on the website that I am going to direct you to here in the show notes. There's also a lot of references to quotes from the saints, and one of them is St. Catherine of Siena. Now her holiness and love for our Lord was so profound that she lived the last seven years of her life where she took no food into her body other than the Holy Eucharist. And all that time she maintained an active life and people noticed her activities were stronger and more rig- more vigorous in the afternoon after she received our Lord in the Eucharist. So St. Catherine was a great mystic of the church and Jesus confided the following words to her. Quote, you receive all the divine essence of the sweetest sacrament of whiteness in the bread. Just like the sun cannot be divided in the whiteness of the holy host, let us suppose that the sacred host could be divided, even if it would be possible to fragment the Holy Eucharist into thousands of tiny particles. In each one of tiny particles, there is the presence of Christ, the whole God, and the whole man, in the same manner that a mirror would shatter into thousands of pieces. The sacred host would not shatter or divide the image of God and man that you see in the host. The image of God and man is in each fragmented part. So that's a quote from St. Catherine that's on uh, Blessed Carlo Acutis's website. I also wanted to uh, go over the teaching of St. Thomas Aquinas that I'd read the other day, and I think it's important that we share this. And it has to do with the hands of the priest and um, the consecrated hands of the priest and how important it is for us to receive. The way that you receive is important too. And I just want uh, want to invite you to open your heart and your soul to, to what St. Saint Cha- Saint Thomas Aquinas says about it. First thing he says is the dispensing of Christ's body belongs to the priest for three reasons. First, because he consecrates in the person of Christ. But as Christ consecrated his body at the Last Supper, so also he gave it to others to be partaken of by them. Accordingly, as the consecration of Christ's body belongs to the priest, so likewise does the dispensing belong to him. Second, because the priest is the appointed intermediary between God and the people, hence as it belongs to him to offer the people's gifts to God, so it belongs to him to deliver the consecrated gifts to the people. Third, because out of reverence for the sacrament, nothing touches it but that which is consecrated, Hence the corporal and the chalice are consecrated, and likewise the priest's hands for touching the sacrament. Hence it is not lawful for anyone else to touch it, 
except from necessity, for instance, if it were to fall upon the ground, or else in some other case of urgency. So those are the words of St. Thomas Aquinas, one of the, the amazing, the great doctors of the church. I do have a lot of thoughts on this. Um, the reverence with which how we receive communion is so important. It was a couple of years ago where I was at uh, one of the Easter Masses. I can't remember which one it was, but we were sitting up at the front because I think I was reading or something that day. And um, I remember seeing that uh, half of a communion host um, hit the ground right in front of me. And I didn't notice it because I was praying, but my son tapped me and said, Hey, Daddy, he said, Jesus is on the ground. And I was like, What? And sure enough, there was Jesus, um, people just basically stepping and and uh, trampling on Jesus. And um, even though I'd been receiving the Eucharist on my tongue for a few years before that, uh, that was one of the most disturbing things I'd ever seen. So I, I quickly I quickly picked up the, the host and I, I consumed it. And um, it just made me, uh, you know, when I, when, I, when I read these quotes from St. Thomas Aquinas, St. Catherine, you hear the stories of Eucharistic miracles. Catholics, we, we've got to be more reverent in how we receive the Eucharist. And I know in some cases right now that you can't receive on your tongue, but, you know, you're going to receive on your hand. Uh, but we can't be just uh, receiving it and just wiping our hand on our on our jacket or on our shirt after. Every particle that's that's on our hands, it's it's Jesus. And we can't just simply dismiss that and um, and desecrate because that's what's happening right now i just don't see that reverence from people when they go up to church up to receive communion and i do believe that uh that we need to go back to a more traditional approach to receiving jesus and i think that that would be again the start to something basic that's the start of a real true metanoia in our church a true conversion back to our our faith and back to the the source and the summit of our faith, the catechism of the Catholic Church. I've said the source and summit several times. Where I get that from, the catechism of the Catholic Church, number 1324. And uh, you know what? This is We need to bring this, this reverence back. And um, I know that it's something that is accepted in most, in some cases, I guess, in the church that you can receive on your hand. But I, I hope that some of the things that you've heard in this podcast and some of the quotes from these saints will get you to consider receiving in a different way. And it's not meant for you to say, well, uh, if I receive all the time, am I going to be making a big statement that I'm holier than thou? I, I don't feel that way at all. It's just how we receive Jesus. It's how much we love our Lord Jesus and that we take it seriously. Uh, I think we're going to do a separate podcast just on this topic alone. I think it's important to talk about and it's important for us to, to share why we feel so strongly about how we receive the Eucharist, and how we think we can bring a real restoration of our faith to so many of our Catholics that have fallen away. You know, I'm getting sick of this. I don't want to see my fellow Catholics leave the church in droves. In North America, we talked about this with William Hemsworth a few weeks ago, and he's got it on his website. But for every Catholic that we receive into the church every Easter, we lose six. And uh, that's not... That's not a number that we should be very uh, happy about. We should be thinking about that every day and how we can improve. It goes back to basics. It's like baseball. It's hit the ball, throw the ball, catch the ball. Love the Lord Jesus with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. Let's start with that and let's see where that takes us.
You know, the source and the sum of the Christian life is the Eucharist. So let's ask ourselves, what are we doing to prepare to enthrone Jesus as the king of our lives and the king of our hearts? You know, the day that we publish this episode, it happens to be on the institution of the Holy Eucharist on Holy Thursday. In order for us to understand that Last Supper, we need to go to John 6. And I encourage you to read that entire chapter. It's an amazing chapter that really changed my life. Now, I remember being about 16 years old. I was at a youth conference. And someone gave an amazing talk about Jesus. And how he said, I am the bread of life. Lest you eat my body and drink my blood, you have no life in you. This had a profound impact on my life as a youth. I never forgot that talk. And again, be bold with your faith and share it with young people. You just never know what kind of impact you'll have on someone. I'm proof of that. So let's not let a week go by where we don't receive our Lord in the state of grace. And I I know it's not easy for some people with work and family obligations to go to a, a weekday mass, but try your best to attend at least one other time during the week. Make it a family event on a weekday evening or Saturday morning. Take your kids out for a walk to the park or even for an ice cream or another treat. Uh, The journey to heaven is one of joy, so let's share that with our families as we journey to heaven together. And don't ever give up on yourself, and certainly don't give up on young people. But encourage them in this life. First and foremost, your kids and your grandkids, be a mentor and an example of holiness to them. And if you don't have kids, and hopefully you feel called by the Holy Spirit, take up coaching a sport or doing some other volunteer activity with youth. You know, when I was a kid, I learned so much from my coaches, and A lot of the skills and lessons they taught me in sports, I I apply to my life today. So, fellows, our world and our youth are starving for masculine, authentic, and virtue-filled men. Don't let the world tell you that you're toxic because you have some qualities that are definitely needed in this world. Be that mentor. Be a a father figure to somebody. Ask St. Joseph to be your own personal life coach and see what the Holy Spirit and the St. Joseph will do for you to work miracles in this world. Just like Blessed Carlo Acutis, youth can make a huge difference in this world. The next generation of Catholics, they're coming up and we need to teach them the ways of holiness and of virtue. Thanks for listening to the Catholic Canuck Podcast, everyone. Hey, we're on Twitter and Facebook, so please like, share, and subscribe as you see fit. And uh, remember, in order to receive communion worthily, you've got to live in a state of grace. So what does that mean? got to go to confession at least three times every year, every Lent, every Advent, and any time you're in a state of mortal sin. Don't even spend a second of your life there. Thanks for listening, everyone. God bless. We'll chat with you very soon.